No my Haidemai and welcome to the Seed Pod, a podcast where we explore the wonders of nature and the connections that bring us closer to the earth. Each episode, we invite guests to share their stories of nature connection and to nerd out with us about everything from plant identification to bird watching. I'm your host and fellow nature enthusiast, Sean Crowley, and I'm excited to dive deep into the natural world with all of you. So sit back relax, and let's get lost in the beauty of nature. Kia ora everyone, welcome back to the Seed Pod. This is episode three, and today I'm joined by Ella. Kia ora koutou, ko Ella toku ingoa. Um, I am a freshwater educator at the moment. Um, I've done some outdoor instructing in my jobs in the past, uh, and in my spare time, I love going out, exploring new places, sometimes with a dog. I really like mountain biking um, and doing all kinds of adventures. I'm really excited to be here. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Ella, if you could tell me a little story from your Nature Connection journey to start off. Sure. Um, I think my nature con- nature connection uh, started with uh, summer holidays being spent in the Coromandel. My nana had a house over there and we'd go and spend weekends and lots of time during the summer over there. Uh, and so that was a lot of time spent at the beach swimming and just like being in this really beautiful house surrounded by nature uh a couple of things that I really remember standing out at that house was the abundance of invertebrates that were always in and around the house uh we always had to watch out for spiders just crawling all over the place uh and also so many stick insects hanging around on the house uh both green and brown ones um and just finding them and it would always be really cool to hold on to them and then go and like find them a home uh in the bush where they were nice and safe uh and then like with the ocean uh I don't remember it but there are pictures of us uh doing boat trips to different um beaches um along the coast and I just it was just so sunny and I I think one of the other things that stands out there is the drive to Coromandel along the very windy coastal road to get out there it always felt like such a journey to get there so it was kind of like a remote really exciting place to go and visit compared to the city and where home was we've done some pretty cool adventures and holidays and one of them was visiting a very remote location and that was Great Mercury Island where we were doing some work which was baiting for Argentine ants which are a invasive pest and they're trying to rid these um, offshore islands of these ants because they kind of take over and they cause a lot of destruction they um, overwhelm the populations of lizards and invertebrates there to the point that Basically, they're covered in ants and they can't survive because they are utilizing too much of their energy to get rid of the ants. And so that was some work that we are part of together. So 
I just wondered if you'd like to share a story from Great Mercury Island with our listeners. Sure. I remember Great Mercury in quite a few different ways of connecting with nature. So like part of it was the relentless uphills and whacking through gorse to do the baiting because you had to kind of cover a really dense area with the bait that we were putting out um and so that was kind of like team bonding with the people that we were with and Sean and I particularly bonded uh during that trip um but I think another really special way that I connected with nature in during that trip was my connection to uh, the Moana, the ocean. So we had some snorkeling gear and we were able to do some snorkeling. We went over to the other side of the island at some point and snorkeled in a bay and I just remember it being very vibrant and the beach was really cool and it was just so nice to just be disconnected from technology and just like hang out on a beach with a bunch of cool people. We like did sandcastles and took a bunch of pictures and were being really silly with cartwheels and stuff like that. That was cool. <laughs> uh, and then during one of the snorkeling trips, I was kind of out in front of the group near some seaweed and I saw a seahorse, which was just outstanding. I think I saw it for maybe two seconds, looked away to be like, I've seen a seahorse and couldn't find it again. Also on that trip, we were able to swim with dolphins. Do you remember that, Sean? Yeah, that was the most amazing experience. I just remember getting off the boat literally like within 10 seconds of us getting off the boat to the island and they were like, there's dolphins in the harbour. If you're lucky enough, they might still be there when you get to the sharers quarters, which is where we're staying. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. right as we get um, basically our bags into the sharers quarters, they called out dolphins in the harbour again. We stripped off everything as we were running, basically, and yeah. just ran into the water. And as soon as you immerse your head under the water, you could hear the dolphins. And that's mm -hmm. something that will forever remain with me is just like how clear that was, even though we were meters away from them under the water. And as yeah. we got closer and as the dolphins came up because they were really curious, we were able to interact with them and have them, I think a couple of people had them within a meter or two of them because they'd yeah. swum underneath them. And it was just the most amazing thing. One of the group members caught it on camera as well. And so yeah. that was definitely a, a highlight experience for my whole like marine uh, experiences, I'd say that's that's a highlight for me. Absolutely. It's so cool hearing you say curiosity of the dolphins because I, that was kind of mutual between us and the dolphins. Like we Definitely. wanted to see what they were doing and they wanted to see what we were doing. Um, yeah. It was just beautiful. And yeah. I remember actually, I think it was a different day um, where there were dolphins in the harbour again. They seemed to come back every two or so days while we were there. Um, but one of those times I just decided to get my camera out and capture it instead. And someone had gone out on their paddle board and a dolphin jumped over top of them and I caught it on camera. Wow! <laughs> and it's the most amazing photo. And they probably, I, I think they must spend a lot of time on the island or maybe they even lived there but mm -hmm. uh the photo is amazing and they probably wouldn't have expected that to happen as well nope who yeah. expects a dolphin to just like almost jump over them yeah exactly
Now, I don't know if you know this, Ella, but you actually really helped me out on that trip with my fears that I had with snorkeling. You helped me break down quite a few barriers that I was facing. And one of those barriers was I didn't, before that trip, know how to duck dive. And so you were able to teach me how to duck dive, how to go underwater and clear my snorkel, which allowed me to explore places under the water that I previously wouldn't have been able to experience before. So thank you for that. It's really special to be able to do that and help uh, enable people to be able to feel a bit more confident uh, in the water because um, I know talking about you and um, some of the work that you do, uh, being able to explore our marine environments is so important because it is such a foreign landscape that people just don't know what's happening in the marine environment and being able to see that uh, in any kind of capacity, whether that's a more degraded or a more healthy environment is so cool because it can really inspire people uh, into action sometimes or just inspire people and kind of like open up their world that there's this whole other environment that they didn't even know kind of existed and all these creatures that are just out there doing their thing. I totally agree and I think that's a perfect segue um, to kind of what our roles entail. So at the moment as Ella mentioned I'm working in a marine space where I bring in virtual reality headsets into schools and show students um across Christchurch, the difference between healthy and unhealthy ocean systems through um, that virtual reality. And that's pretty cool to see uh, students being able to interact with the underwater environment without even leaving their classroom. Mm. So that's been a really cool experience. And for me, the marine environment is a new sphere that I hadn't really learned about when I was younger, other than on camping trips. Because yeah. I lived in Topor, which is in the middle of the North Island, has a big lake, but it is landlocked. So that's been a really cool learning journey for me. But obviously, you also do a lot of work that's actually physically getting people out into not only the freshwater environment, but also the marine environment through adventure and education. So if you'd mm -hmm. like to talk a little bit about your work and maybe share a story of some success that you've seen in students. So as Sean said, I uh, get people out into nature. Uh, and so that can range from spotlighting and streams. So going out at night and showing people what creatures live in our freshwater environments, assisting people with doing plantings, mainly around uh, freshwater areas. Uh, so kind of giving back to nature in that way, uh, doing snorkeling experiences, helping out with uh, that. Uh, we've, we're kind of wrapping up the, because it's the end of summer, getting a bit colder, uh, wrapping up the snorkeling season at the moment. And it's been really cool uh, this season, connecting people to the, re kind of reconnecting people to the water because uh, in uh, New Zealand over the summer and especially in the North Island, we've had quite a few big weather events that I think people have made people feel a bit more disconnected, um, increased kind of anxiety and fear, especially around water, not just nature. And uh, mm -hmm. so it's been really special to be able to take people into those uh, water environments and show them that they are just really cool. They're part of the ecosystem that we're working to protect. Uh, and so uh, we had a 
snorkeling day in Takapuna recently and uh, it was a beautiful day gorgeous sunshine and everything and I had a group of very beginner snorkelers that I was taking out and we hopped into the water and we could not see very far it was yeah. really cool kind of switching the tap with them rather than looking for creatures because it would have been too hard for them to find anything we focused on uh kind of connecting to our bodies and the water so what snorkeling skills can they work on um because they were all starting uh holding on to the boogie boards that we take with us so they were all like holding on to that really uh tense in the water and so we practiced just like letting go a little bit and can you hold on to it with just your hands rather than having your tummy on the board can you hold on to it with just one hand and then like the ultimate like I dare you to let go of the board for five whole seconds can you do that and people would do that and then it would be like a massive cheer from the group could anyone uh, dive under just a little bit so that their snorkel filled up and they had to clear their snorkel and everything Um, and so even though it felt like we couldn't see any of the environments that we were aiming to see under the water uh it was still a really awesome way for them to connect to the water and have I hope a really positive experience while they were out there so we're gonna change tact a little bit and head from marine into freshwater so I'd love to hear Ella why should people care about freshwater environments uh, there are a couple of different points that we can think about when we're thinking about the importance of freshwater environments. Uh, one of those is for the creatures uh, that are not human living in and around those environments. And then another one of those is how humans uh, interact with freshwater environments. So for humans, freshwater environments can be a really important source of food, uh, of recreation, of connection to nature, of clean water. So really essential for the way that humans live. Uh, and then I believe that there's also uh, just innate Im importance in freshwater environments for their part of the ecosystem that we all live in. Uh, and so I know a little bit more about that with the plants and the macroinvertebrates and the fish uh, that live in these environments, uh, as well as the plants and forests that they interact with um, and just getting to meet these creatures and understand that their life is uh, important and they're really special creatures, I think gives value to freshwater environments. Amazing. I love that. And I think it's really cool that you're able to connect schools to the freshwater environment because that is something mm. that I found can be quite difficult with health and safety these days is um, kind of convincing schools that it's not as scary as they think and that 
it is safe to go out and interact with your local streams and rivers and being able yeah. to explore and connect to those actually gives those students a better and more holistic view of their environment around their school as well. And especially, as you said earlier as well, it really influences the way that they look at the environment, but also the way that they feel about it. And they're more likely to take action for that, to care mm. about that environment as well. Absolutely. I think that really stands out in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, where I teach, uh, because so many of the streams that we visit with schools, students can't get into the water or they can't necessarily safely interact with that water because it's being changed or there are stormwater or wastewater influences on that water. And so that's just creating disconnection with that waterway whereas when I've been able to take groups to really healthy freshwater environments where they can stand in the stream and they can touch the water and they can uh, touch the bugs and stuff that are in the water you can see the joy in their face and the excitement when they see see a little twig come alive because it's actually not just a twig there's a bug little hiding uh inside of that which you just don't get in those environment uh those urban environments where a stream is so often just kind of like put behind a fence and where you just see it as a drain rather than an ecosystem i'd love for you to share with the audience what are those bugs that you're talking about that live in the river so that bug is a caddisfly. There are lots of different species of caddisflies. Uh, I am no complete expert on the different species or anything, but when I'm teaching kids about it, we talk about a few different types of caddisflies. Uh, so there are woody cased caddisflies or smooth cased caddisflies or stony cased caddisflies. Uh, and these creatures are all uh, the larvae form of an invertebrate. Uh, I think they're really cool creatures because they're a little bit like a hermit crab. They can kind of go and find a home in a stick or something so that they are more hidden in their environment and they just look like a person with their head and arms sticking out of a sleeping bag um, <laughs> and they just crawl around with their two front arms on the on the bottom of the stream. Uh for their lifetime while they live in the freshwater environment and then these as I said this is the larvae stage and these creatures grow up and they will uh, actually turn into creatures that are flying insects in our forest and I think they're one of the really uh, special examples of how our forests and our freshwater environments interact with each other and why it's really important to uh, protect both of those environments. I'm going to take a backpedal and ask whether there's been any times where the way in which tamariki connecting or children connecting to the environment has impacted the way in which you connect to the environment. I have a couple of younger cousins and their family is quite adventure-focused, not very nature-focused. And so um, I feel like I've kind of taken on as my role as chief nature connector of the family for those cousins. 
and uh, we did an adventure when they must have been about nine-ish and twelve-ish and we did a tramp into a hut so it was like a cousin's trip there was me my brother and my two younger cousins and we did a walk and took us maybe like four or five hours in and four or five hours out again and it was just so cool taking them into that environment uh, where I feel like really connected and safe and like I could uh, lead and they were just like having a whale of a time my cousin uh, we the walk goes along a river and my cousin is a is a bit of a water bug and so as we were going along this river we were kind of like stopped for a bit of a snack and he was like can I go for a swim and I was like sure why the heck not a uh, little bit chilly for me but I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine and he'll be like I'll be fine I don't mind I'm strong I'm tough and so he would he stood on the edge of the water and jumped in and the look of complete shock when his head came out of the water he was just like oh it's so cold I know that feeling and I actually I remember on school camp at primary school and this is like pretty early on we went mm-hmm. to Puteora Forest and we did all go swimming and it yeah. was freezing cold like ice yeah. cold as soon as my body hit the water it was like eject like immediately get out (laughs) but it was so much fun and I'm sure he felt the same way as like you know no regrets it was great exactly but also exactly yeah it was just a different way of viewing those adventures I was kind of the adult and I was leading the kids through the bush and so it felt more I was taking more of a guiding role and so we were just kind of taking it slow and doing different experiences and making sure that we were stopping for snacks and looking at the cool trees and sharing the facts about the rangiora and the kawakara and go on taste this and that kind of thing uh it um yeah it was really cool rather than just kind of being out there for my own or like going through somewhere really fast when you're uh on some different mode of transport or you're tramping or something Uh, it was yeah really kind of slowed me down and I think that yeah changed my perspective a bit good question definitely I totally agree with that when you're able to slow down rather than having a set time that you need to get from a to b it Mm. really changes the way in which you experience that trip or that adventure now talking about adventure I would love to hear about how you got into mountain biking in the first place. I got into mountain biking through family. Uh, I've been mountain biking since I was little and then did a lot of adventure racing when I was in high school and through that got to explore lots of different environments. Uh, So going into lots of different environments but not really looking at them because you were kind of just like heads down, bums up, go, 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 go. After uni, got back into a bit more mountain biking again with family. Uh, But so like the focus of that sport hasn't been uh, connecting with nature, but in some ways I do feel like I do connect with nature through that because you have to be out in the environment. You're often 
with friends and so that kind of changes the dynamic as well uh, I was able to do my first west coast of the South Island trip because of mountain biking we went and did an overnight trip there uh, which really tested my limits uh, but it was also really cool because we saw um, what are the little green ones that look like ping pong balls Rifleman. Yes, I saw a rifleman in the bush because Amazing. I was going so slowly uphill. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Riflemen are so hard to find, even if you're just walking through the bush. That is actually yeah. one of the species that will probably forever, until I capture the shot, which could be many years in the future, is one of my species that I aim to photograph well. Yeah, do you remember the walk that we did in... It must have been near Dunedin or in the Catlins or somewhere. And we did like a walk to a little waterfall, but we found a couple of riflemen on the way. And I think we must have stayed there for half an hour to an hour or something within this 20 meter section of track with you trying to photograph them and me going, there they are. Oh no, they moved. No, there they are. Oh, look at them. Now it's on the other (laughs) side of the path. Oh, now it's higher. Lower, higher, lower. Now it's in the nest. (laughs) They are so fast. You described that so well. Um, I've had that opportunity multiple times where you'll hear riflemen or you'll see a glimpse of one and then they're gone. And Mm. especially using the big lens that I have, uh, it's just impossible to capture how fast they are. So um, we'll see. Maybe one day. Goals. Speaking of photography, though, Sean, I think uh, it's changed the way that I connect to nature because of your photography, because it's really shown me like how you can uh, slow down, as you say. And I think that was really well uh, exemplified when we did one of our Dunedin trips and we did the really early morning going and searching for penguins. I'm the sort of person when I go to a beach, I'm like, okay, walk to the end of the beach, walk back to the start and then leave. Whereas (laughs) this one was like, okay, we're going to go and find a spot in the dunes where we can settle. And we're just going to watch this one spot of sand for hours, uh, which was totally worth it because it meant that we got to see the penguins and we got to see the sea lions coming into the beach as well, leaving the beach. I always love it when people capture me capturing photos because man... I just, you never really think in the moment what kind of positions you're getting into to get the shot. But I remember from from that um, day, mm. me lying on the sand with my long lens, just waiting, just as still yeah. as I possibly could be, just waiting to see if I could see a penguin. And I said to Angus the other day, walking through the bush in Australia, that, you know, there's signposts everywhere for the wildlife that you might see. and And I know it is really hard to find those things. But I also truly believe that when you know the species and you know how they interact in their environment and you know what to look for, you are much more likely to find those things. And the patience in which I have when determined to find those things Mm -hmm. will most likely come to me finding said species. And I think that is a, a gift because a lot of people, and I saw this with so many different tourists on the tracks or at the zoos, any anywhere interacting with wildlife, people are so quick to give up on finding mm-hmm. said species. So 
for example, there were uh, tanks with poison dart frogs at the zoo in Oz, and I absolutely love frogs. Obviously, everyone knows that by now if they've listened to episode one, um, but these poison dart frogs were so hard to find, and people would give it about five seconds of their attention. They'd look, they couldn't immediately find it, and they would move on, <laughs> and so I spent an hour looking at this tank and within that hour I think within 10 minutes I had found a frog but you know 10 minutes longer than another person who had just had a glimpse and and walked away and from that moment of 10 minutes I would see people give it a go and then give up but then kind of look around to see if anyone else had seen them so that they could easily find the poison dart frogs and so from that moment on, it became my purpose to then show those people who could become disengaged where those frogs were so that they could enjoy in that experience and connecting to these frogs. Mm. I was just going to add to that, uh, that that's why education is so important, because as you say, if you don't have any awareness of these environments or the special creatures that you could find in them, then why would you care about it why would you want to restore it why would you want to protect this environment because it just looks like a swamp or something which you've been told is like a gross dirty piece of water where it's Definitely. not it's beautiful wetland doing such a good job at cleaning the water and housing so many different creatures and the way in which we communicate things is really important like simply the use of swamp versus wetland like changes mm. your perspective of the place that you're in if people don't care for these environments, it's not going to be there in the future for all of the things that we enjoy doing in those environments. And mm -hmm. I always love starting the sessions that I do in schools with that kind of, what do you like to do in the marine environment? So that it gives them that grounding of like, okay, all of these things I really enjoy. And then actually some of these environments are being harmed, they're um, polluted or overfished in, in the case of our sessions and, and looking at those environments, healthy versus unhealthy, you can kind of see that connection forming in their brains, that light bulb mm -hmm. moment where they're like, there's something that I can do to ensure that people can actually enjoy these things that I also enjoy doing in my spare time for the rest of time, for, for their future and for everyone's future beyond that as well. And that's super important. Absolutely. Yeah. Really empowering for students as well to gain that knowledge and then be able to showcase it to um, other people that are like further, not quite as far along the learning journey as they are. Definitely. And being able to provide access to that for as many people as possible is really important. And on that note, we've finished the third episode of The Seed Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening in to Ella and I talk all things nature connection and environmental education. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on.